We start at the very beginning because what we believe about the beginning matters. It anchors how we walk. It anchors how we move. It's our reference point to what we believe, how we behave, yeah? And what we believe absolutely impacts how we behave. You can, you can want to be a better person, but unless you believe that you can be, you never will be. You can want to get fit, but unless you believe that you can walk through the door of a gym, you probably never will. Testify. Anyway, <laughs> our belief equates to our behavior. And so, every now and again, in our faith walk, we need to go back to the very beginning. That's why the psalmist wrote, remind me of the first fire, remind me of my first love, reignite that thing that's in me. Did you know that the fire that we carry, the light that we carry, is actually attractive? And so for those of you who perhaps have been doing this walk for a long time and you think, oh, I get all this stuff, I know it, it's okay, but I'm doing church and I'm a good person. Maybe today you could just get your heart ready to learn something new, just to hear it, hear it new. Maybe you're going to hear the same thing you've always heard, but it's going to drop a little deeper into your spirit and it's going to make you come alive a bit. How many people reckon they can leave here today feeling a bit more alive than when they came in? Right, because that's why we gather. We gather to bring life. We are peddlers of life. That's what we talk about here. Life abundant, life on purpose, life with purpose. Life that has a very deliberate beginning and a very promised end. And we sit in the middle and the middle is a hard place to sit sometimes because you're not quite sure where you're up to. And so we have to walk in the promises of God, the promises of God that are yes and amen. And so we start at the very beginning, the light of life that we should follow. This is what uh, John 1 actually says. It says, in the beginning was the Word and the Word was God and the Word was, the Word was with God and the Word was God. I know that off by heart, apparently. I love this verse. It's one of those verses that I go back to all the time. And it just, it just reminds me that as we speak about Genesis 1, John 1 is also true. As we speak about Genesis 1, the beginning, the creation, the making of it all, we look and we see that right throughout history, this anchor point keeps on making a difference. And in John's life, it made a huge difference, so much so that when he wrote his gospel, when he wrote about his best mate, John was the disciple whom Jesus loved. And when he wrote about it, the first thing he said was, in the beginning, was the Word. And, and kids, I've hung out with Him. I've hung out with the man who was the Word, the Word incarnate, the Word in flesh. And today, our job as people of faith is to get that Word in us and to live it out so we carry that same light of life. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. In Him was life. In Him was life. And that life was the light of all mankind. The beginning creates the light of all mankind. If you wander away from the light, you wander away from the life, right? This is why we keep preaching. This is why I keep saying to people, come back to Jesus. Come back into the light. Come back into the anchor point and the light that will guide you. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not, cannot, will not ever overcome it. We start at the very beginning because it's a very good place to start. And in the end... In the end, we worry about the end all the time. We've just been through a season where the conspiracy theories were turned up to 11 and people were trying to predict the end of the world. I believe we missed it again last week. I know. I was really disappointed. I looked around and thought, my goodness, it'd be easier if we didn't have to do this tomorrow. 
<laughs> I saw it on the news. We missed the end of the world again. Someone had prophesied it and decided that this was the calculation. Stop it. Just stop it. No man knows the hour of the day. So we need to know the promise of what the end is. In the end is the outcome if we do follow. The light is what we should follow. The outcome at the end is what happens if we do follow. In, in Genesis 1, it says that the, the light was given to govern and Jesus and the, far, and the presence of God. It was amazing. It was amazing. But we lose track of that because we get stuck in our own heads and we want to do it our own way. And it's in, in, in Genesis 11 where we read that, that the, the, the languages of the people were broken up and the people were confused. We'll come to the reason about that in a minute. But later on, Zephaniah, the prophet, says this, In the end, I will turn things around for the people. I'll give them a language, undistorted, unpolluted words to address God in worship. Isn't that a beautiful promise? In the end, a language undistorted, unpolluted. Check out the next part of this. Content with who they are and where they are. Let's just hold on to that for a second. Are you content with who you are and where you are? Unanxious, they will live at peace. This prophecy about living unanxiously and at peace is actually a prophecy over us. Because you see this happen in the middle. If you go to the middle, in the middle is where we find the faithfulness to follow. That's what happens in the middle. And we see this happen in Acts where they are given a language that speaks to the whole world. Acts 18, it's an, Acts 2 I should say, Acts 2, is where this language is given to people and we are able to express the gospel, the truth of the gospel to every person from every nation in every tongue under one name. But it all started here in Genesis 11 where we find a history that keeps on repeating. And the history is this in a nutshell, and you can get your Bibles out and read the whole, the whole set of verses. This is the last of, of the setup of creation. After this, Genesis becomes more of a historical document about the story and the establishment of Israel. But here is, the, is kind of that last moment of what happens post-flood, where God has kept his covenant promise. Remember, he had given them a covenant promise that he would never flood the earth again. He would never restart again. But we find that the people have gathered together. And the weird thing about the way this scripture is worded is it speaks about the people being in unity. They were all in unity, but their unity wasn't based around the love of their creator. Their unity was based around their ego. And so they decide they're going to build a tower. Why are they going to build a tower? Because they want to get up to God. God's not up. He's Every, like these are people that, are, that carry the story of the history of the world. They carry the faithfulness of God. And you see this incredible moment where they stop in the middle of the promise and decide that they want to make themselves famous. Does that story sound familiar? Does that sound like a story that's been repeated right throughout history and is continuing to be repeated today? What happens when we take our, light, our, our, our eyes off of God, our, our, our walk out of the light, we start, to, we start to get in our own heads and we start to think about, will people remember me? Do people know me? Do they understand how amazing I am? Instead of us taking, our, taking that glory and giving it to God, we're trying to own that glory for ourselves. And you know what? You can't handle the glory. 
You can't handle the glory. It's not yours to handle. He's watching over you anyway and giving you light each and every day. So why would you allow your ego to get in the way of his love? Let's have a look at this. See, this is a strange moment because up until this point, they'd been walking in the commandment and in the promise that came out of that. The commandment was go and multiply. Go and multiply. Genesis 9, go and multiply. Floods happened. Punishment has happened, but there's new. So go and multiply. Genesis 10 is a whole list of generations that came after. 70 names. Something fairly promising about 70 names. So they did. They went and multiplied. And Genesis 10, as you read through Genesis 10, you can actually see the history that we are living in now unfolded way back then. You can see the tribes represented. You can see the beginning of the nations that are still at war. You can see the names of the nations that are at war with the, with the people of Israel even today. It's happening in real time. It will continue to happen until the promise of God is that Jesus comes again and renews the whole thing. And I'm looking forward to that and I'm praying for that. The Bible tells us to pray earnestly for that day that peace would come, right? But in the middle of it, we're in the middle of it. We have to live in the middle of it. But they were living in the promise and they did what they were asked to do. And then Genesis 11 suddenly hits and you see this moment where ego overcomes love and they stop from their obedience and they nullify the promise. They go from go and multiply to just stop and nullify. Genesis 11.1. The people stopped and they said, we should make a name for ourselves. Why? Why? Why would you want to make a name for yourself? So they stopped and they nullified the promise. And sin basically took it over. Sin did what sin does. It has this, this momentary kind of like, wow, look what we did. We built a thing. Now, the scripture records that they, they worked in new technologies. They worked with brick and with tar, things they hadn't worked with before. They built a ziggurat. A ziggurat is basically a pyramid. It's a step pyramid. And at the top of this ziggurat, they put a dome. And, at the, dome, and the dome was a gate. And the gate was supposed to be the gate of the gods. That's why in some languages, Babel is, is interpreted as the gate of the gods. But it never worked. Because that's not how it works. Because you can't handle the glory. And you're not supposed to. And we can still see ruins of these things in these places. These were real people doing real things, building in new technologies. Now, we could be really proud of them going, wow, look what you've learned. Your engineering skills are incredible. Isn't that amazing? We still look at these things and the, the pyramids of Egypt, obviously, we look at them and go, they're wonders of the world. They are astounding. How did they, you know, we've, you know, there's people out there that will tell you that aliens built them because why not the internet? People are smarter than you realize. We can go a lot further than you realize in our own knowledge and for our own ego. They built this thing and said, look what we've built. And it had this kind of kick that sin always does. Because sin creates this false momentum. It creates this kind of adrenaline rush. Wow, I did a thing. More to the point, wow, I got away with a thing. 
See, see I actually, I, I live on the positive side of life. I live on the glass half full side of life. I really try to. Anybody else? Anybody else like, Jazz, you've got the wrong glass. <laughs> and so I like to think that people want to do the right thing by one another. I really want to believe that. I want to think that evil isn't as prevalent as we see it is. But I know that every single one of us walks with this war between the love of God and the ego of self. And this is why. Because sin feels like momentum. It feels like a rush. It feels like we're getting away with stuff and it builds up and it builds up and it builds up. How do we get the Ponzi schemes that rip off the, the, the whole of our financial world, right? It happens over and over again. If you're following the, the Sam bankman frieds case at the moment of all of the Bitcoin, just you went from worth 30 billion to worth zero overnight. Why? Because there was nothing there. They were just getting away with stuff. Enron, all the rest of it. You look at dictators around the world that say, we'll share everything. Let's all just be socialist. We'll all share everything. But you know what tends to happen? What tends to happen is someone goes, hang about. I can gather all that wealth for myself. Someone gets rich. Depravity happens. And it turns out we don't love each other more than we love ourselves. But that's why the greatest commandment starts with love the Lord your God. So if sin creates a false momentum, what does obedience do? Obedience creates a steady progression. Obedience is, is a little more boring. It's a little more vanilla. It's a little more, yeah, just do the same thing every day. I am told that there are ways to get thin really fast. And there's new drugs on the market and all that kind of stuff. I'm told that. I'm also told that if I went for a walk every day, I'd be thinner. I haven't been going for a walk. But right now I'm preaching to myself. <laughs> because obedience is just doing the same thing steadily each and every day. Walking up, waking up, reading the word. When the Holy Spirit nudges you, you say a prayer. When you see a person in need, you reach out to them. You take some of your wealth and you give it to others. You put the Lord God first in your life. You take a moment to stop and breathe when you're, when, when you're faced with trial and you say, God, this is yours, help me out here. It's just a steady obedience and it's a little bit boring and it's a little bit bland. But you know what? In the middle where you are between the beginning and the end, if you are anchored on the idea that he made all this stuff for us and gave us the light of life and we should walk in the light of life, then you know the beginning is good and the promise at the end is great. So just walk steadily in the middle. Here's the three lessons. God is sovereign. God is sovereign. He created this globe for us. We've got the James Webb telescope out there trying to find other worlds. We haven't found any yet. We just keep finding other fascinating things. There's something miraculous about us even being alive and breathing. God is sovereign. God is gracious. God is gracious. There was grace at the beginning. There is grace now. For whatever you are going through, there is grace. And even if the other humans aren't giving you grace, that's okay. God is. Don't wait for other people to understand you. It's probably never going to happen. But let's try our best. But let's understand that we will fail one another. But God's grace is sufficient. Yes? God's grace is sufficient. God is sovereign. God is gracious. And here's the kicker. God's plan prevails. God's plan will prevail. That's the beauty of all of this. You don't have to do anything. You just have to know that the plans that God put in place will prevail. 
This is what God did to mess up the plans of humankind. He confused their language. It says this in Genesis 11 and verse 9. It says, that is why it was called Babel. Because there the Lord confused the language of the whole world. And from there the Lord scattered them over the face of the whole earth. And then gathered them back in Werribee. That's why for some of you, I'm speaking way too fast because English is your second language. And you say, hey, Jazz, I don't understand you. That's okay. We have notes for you. So to all my friends that I'm speaking too fast for, I do apologize. But South Gippsland English is my first language, so. It seems almost cruel when you read this story. They, they, they'd taken their, their, their smarts, their cleverness. They'd built this tower, this ziggurat. They'd, they put a dome at the top. But the reason that God came down, he didn't, he didn't have to come down. He was there the whole time. He's omniscient. He's omnipresent. He's with them all the time. And there's almost this sarcastic moment where God says, let's go down and have a look at this little thing they're calling a tower. They're calling this thing a tower. Let's go down and see if we can find it. God's view, your view. You're looking up at this great tower and God's going, I can't see your tower. That's the bigness of our God. And so he comes down and he confuses the language and what does that make them do? It makes them go. What was the commandment? Go, multiply. What are you doing here? Get out of here, you naughty kids. God is a parent. Confused the language, but he gave them a unifying promise. And we read it before. It says, I'll give them a language undistorted and unpolluted. What's the language that we have? It's the language of worship. It's the language that brings us all together, that allows us to stand as one people. And in Acts chapter 2, the gospel is heard in every language. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't all, aren't, uh, utterly, aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in our native language. This is a beautiful creative miracle that God did and God still does. I've heard plenty of testimonies of this where people speak in a tongue that they're given somehow and somebody understands them. It's a remarkable thing that happens and continues to happen. But you have this moment where the whole, the whole sort of known world is gathered in, in this city and the Holy Spirit hits them and they start speaking in other tongues and then suddenly the gospel is heard in their tongue. Do you know what our job is today? Do you know what hasn't changed? It's just go. Go to every language. Go to every nation. Go to every tribe. Go with your language of love. Go with your language of worship. Do you know I can sing How Great Is Our God anywhere in the world and people will sing it with me? Or Amazing Grace? Do you know I can, I can get out key scriptures and people will understand it? Even people that haven't read this book, there are things that are just intuitive to the human heart and it's intuitive to the human heart because God made us in the first place. So he actually gave us this purpose and gave us this promise and told us the beginning from the end and said, you live in the middle and live faithfully. Isn't that a remarkable thing? He gathers us together. I wrote it down this way that without divinity, human unity tends to lead to depravity. Human unity that gathers around a person, a person's skill, a person's gift, a person's charisma, Come on, seriously, how many of us haven't been let down by that hero? That person that turned out to be human. That person that you thought, wow, they're amazing. And then it turns out their whole life was... 
There's a moment in my life years ago where one of the creative projects I was doing was going really, really well. And one of the people involved in that creative project, uh, his secret life came out. And the secret life was so sinful and so yuck that the only thing we could do is stop the creative project, which broke my heart. Your sin doesn't just have an impact on you. It has an impact on others around you. Therefore, ergo, your obedience can do the same thing. Your obedience can do the same thing. God sits above the circle of the earth, says Isaiah 40.22. The people below seem like grasshoppers to him and he spreads out the heavens like a curtain and makes his tent from them. That's how big our God is. This is Psalm 2 verse 4, it says, But the one who rules in heaven laughs. The Lord scoffs at the plans of men. In, in Acts chapter uh, 17, there's this amazing moment where, where Paul is sharing and it says a group of Epicurean and Stoic philosophers began to debate with him. Some of them asked, what is this babbler trying to say? Where do we get the word babble? From the word babel. What does the word babel mean? Confusion. What is this confusing guy even saying? What's he saying to us? These are smart people. These are Stoic and Epicurean philosophers. This is not just a chat at a barbecue. Although, <laughs> what is this babbler trying to say? Others remarked, he seems to be advocating foreign gods. They say this because Paul was preaching the good news about Jesus and the resurrection. In other words, he was preaching about the miraculous nature of God coming in human form, dying for our sins and being resurrected. And he's speaking that as absolute truth for absolute proof that there is a life beyond the one you know. And they are saying, what is this babbler on about. And he skipped down 10 verses to verse 28 of Acts 17 and it says, his, his preaching says this, for in him we live and move and have our being. We are his offspring, as your poets have said. He was, he was referring to a, a Sicilian Stoic named uh, Aratus who had actually said that. And so he basically took their understanding, put it back at them and said, no, no, this is Jesus. In him we live and breathe and have our being. His babbling went to a blessing when they heard the gospel. The gospel, as Tim Keller often puts us, is, is this. You're more sinful and depraved than you ever would like to admit. But you are more loved and known than you could ever understand. God loves you. God knows you. He knows the journey that has brought you into this gathering in person, online. And he loves you no matter what steps it took even if you came and you sort of tripped over the front mat this morning and fell on your face. Actually, God kind of digs it when we fall on our faces because we weren't made to handle the glory. It's not our job. 
So why would you stop in the middle of your obedience? If you figured out what it is to obey, why would you stop in the middle of your obedience? I put it to you this way. It's kind of simple. You got in the way. You got in the way because you stopped doing the simple. You stopped getting the word into you every day. You stopped your prayer life. You stopped taking a breath and trusting when pressure came on. You stopped leaning into the, to the gathering of the saints and to the testimony. You stopped asking the elders to pray for you. You stopped believing that healing was possible. You stopped believing that, that reunification of your family was possible. You stopped believing that the creator of the universe that spoke this thing into being actually knows what's going on. That's what you stopped believing. And so you need to get back. And I'm not giving you a miracle cure, except I kind of am. It's just do that again. Just do that again. Day by day by day by day by day. Because it really, really is that simple. We read the stories of Jesus and we think, man, I would have loved to have been there to walk with him and talk with him. And wouldn't, wouldn't, wouldn't I be a better person? Wouldn't I understand the depths of, of God even more if, if, if I'd actually walked with him? And then you go and read the story of the 12 dudes who did it. One of them betrayed him. A bunch of it didn't understand it and took him years and years and years to even understand what he'd actually talked about. Don't stress if you don't get it just yet. Just walk in that humble obedience. Why would you stop in the middle of obedience? In Genesis chapter 9, they are told to go and multiply. And by Genesis chapter 11, they have stopped and nullified the promise. Why? Because sin got in the way of obedience. Because sin gave them that rush. Look what we've done. Look what we've built. Look how clever we are. And God looks down and goes, I can't even see your tower. Get over yourselves. Look to me. I have everything. I have everything in control. It's okay. It's okay. It's okay. So that scripture in Zephaniah that says they will live unanxious and at peace. I'm just wondering whether we could believe that. I'm just wondering in a world that overwhelms us with information, overwhelms us with things that we can't fix, overwhelms us with moments of anxiety. Could you actually believe that the prophet Zephaniah, all those millennia ago, who wrote down, I will give them a language that unifies them and I will give them a language that helps them live unanxious and at peace. Could you believe that to be true? Uh, We were talking as a staff this week and, and Simon sort of, we're talking about uh, how much information comes down the, down the pipeline through your phone to you and the question he sort of put to the table was, were we actually even built to handle that much information? And of course the answer is no. And do you know why? Because not only were you not meant to handle all the glory, you also weren't meant to take the world's sin on your shoulders. And do you know why? Because that's what Jesus did. He's already done it. On the cross, he took the sin of the world on his shoulder and he said, I'll carry that weight for you. Stop it. You don't have to do it. You don't have to build a tower. You don't have to make anything amazing. You don't have to be the most incredible person in the world and show off to me because I don't care. I just love you the way you are. I designed you. I made you. I gave you the breath that's in your lungs. Just start by being thankful for that. Walk in an obedience towards the light and in the light and let God do his job. You weren't meant to carry the glory. You also weren't weren't meant to carry the sin of the world. Because that's why it's overwhelming, because the evil comes down the pipeline through your news. And you think, you know what? 
That's why the front page is full of crazy stuff and the back page is full of sport, because at least we know who won. Remember Jesus himself in Philippians 2, Paul writes that Jesus himself didn't even consider equality of God with God something to be gained. Jesus himself didn't try to present himself as God. If Jesus didn't do it, you shouldn't either. Because you, you don't want people to view you like God. You want to be Christ-like so they can see Christ in you. I'm not God. But I do want to be Christ-like. I want to try that long obedience in the same direction. That long obedience that in the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God and the Word was God. And the light came in and broke up the darkness and the darkness has never overcome it. Would you trust that promise today? Would you trust that you can live? unanxious and at peace if you take these steps it doesn't mean trials won't come against you john 17 he prayed jesus prays for us in this world you will have trouble but i will be with you always even to the end of the age right that's there that's a promise as well so it doesn't mean the troubles go away it just means you have a skill a life skill to walk in the midst of troubles he sets the table before me even in the presence of my enemies anybody actually felt hated lately i'm putting two hands up yeah i've got some people that straight up hate me i don't understand it i i can't fix it I've really tried. It's messed with my heart because I think I'm trying to be a good person and they hate me and I don't know why and I can't fix it because they won't talk to me about it and I don't know. Anyone else got that? It's going on in people's lives, right? And it troubles our hearts and I think, man, but that's okay because I have the peace of Christ in my life. So here's the three lessons. In the beginning, God is sovereign. In the middle, God is gracious. And in the end, God's plan prevails. Amen.